So, Mark. Yes. In the movie we watched this week, we get to hear about and then gloriously see a truly incredible dessert. One of the best movie wedding cakes I've ever seen. And an incredible payoff because you hear it described and that's funny. I never believed they were going to show it to us. And the moment I saw it, I cackled to the point that my roommate came out of their room to make sure that I was okay. It's such a good cake. So to be clear, this cake is, as we are told, gray icing over red velvet carved in the shape of an armadillo. A very realistic looking one for a cake. Absolutely. And in the movie, Dylan McDermott's character, Jackson, insists on having that be a cake at his wedding because it's based on the cake designs of his beloved aunt. So, Mark, what I need to ask you is... Okay. In your hypothetical future wedding, Mm -hmm. you must have a deep red cake in the shape of an animal. And I want to know what animal that would be. So, my first thought, as always, when it comes to animal questions is giraffe. But... I would not want to cut into the neck of a giraffe because I love them so much. So right now, I'm leaning towards something like an aardvark, which are uglier than Arthur the aardvark leads you to believe. Or maybe so you're like... choosing an animal that you want to kill for its ugliness. <laughs> well, not ugliness, but one that I wouldn't be, you know, upset to ruin the cuteness of. Maybe a blobfish. That could be fun. <laughs> So I actually also went to the ocean. I was thinking an octopus might be a good idea. Ooh, there's a lot of cake there. And very easy to slice. Easy to slice, and also you can have people slicing in multiple areas at the same time for efficiency's sake. Eight different flavor possibilities. Except it has to be deep red, red velvet. Well, they all have to be red, but maybe there's different flavors within them. Ooh. And you've got the head can be that, like... You know the tradition how you're supposed to freeze the top layer and eat it on your first anniversary? You, you freeze got the it right there. Head. That's a great idea. Is this a great idea that we I should both use? An incredible idea. So shout out to our future spouses. <laughs> Get hyped for an octopus cake. <laughs> well, you've cracked it. You've created the perfect wedding cake. Wow. I was prepared to give a whole speech here about how I think octopuses are the greatest animal kingdom threat to human supremacy and i also want to demonstrate my dominance over them by slicing into one but this is just a good idea we don't need to be talking about that no there's just a very solid reasons for why this is a good cake yeah wow well we cracked it so the episode's over all right yeah uh hashtag (laughs) octo cake and uh in the bag until next time i'm a ginger (laughs) and i'm gay so between the two of us anyway welcome to we love the love a hollywood romance podcast i'm mark and i'm gay And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This, of course, is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining the most pressing, urgent issue of our day. What kind of animal should your wedding cake be? And we solved it. It's an octopus. (laughs) And are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance in a movie is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We'll dig in and see what's there. This week, we are looking at a story that's not really about romance. It's about a community of Louisiana women, but there's enough romantic love in there for us to make an episode out of it. So we are talking about the 1989 Herbert Ross hit, Steel Magnolias. This movie is about a bunch of, I mean, I'll just say the actresses of the 80s all in one film. And they are just being friends and supporting each other through hard times. And I loved it. It's great. It's this multi-generational community with like Julia Roberts and Daryl Hannah on one end. And then like Olympia Dukakis and Shirley MacLaine on the other Sally Field, 
just a yeah, raft and of, of wonderful people. It's all centered around, I'd say, Sally Field. She's the heart of this, except Dolly Parton is kind of... While not being the oldest, I'd say is still kind of the matriarch. She's the one they all gather around. Absolutely. Yeah, she's the one who owns the beauty salon, where this movie's based on a play by Robert Harling, who also wrote Boy, the screenplay. Boy, is it. <laughs> Boy, is this movie a play. Yes, absolutely. And in the play, the entire thing is set in Truvy's beauty salon. You definitely get that vibe. A lot of scenes are just them all gathered around. It's fascinating to watch 80s hair be created. Right. It's a how-to, really. It is. You learn a lot about how they get that volume, and it's not a glamorous look until it is finished. And then it's great. Also, there was so much hairspray that Dolly Parton was holding a face shield specifically to protect her face from the hairspray. I mean, that seems like better than getting all the hairspray in your face. I know, but just the amount of hairspray used. It's insane. Also, I was wearing the exact same overalls as Weeza at one point while watching this movie, down to where the little, like, logo is stitched. Good. It was very exciting to watch happen. Yeah, this movie was a listener suggestion uh, from our listener, Catherine, but... As I was watching it, I was like, oh, Mark is going to vibe with this hard. It's a 1980s era men ain't shit movie, essentially, in the same vein as 9 to 5, where it's mostly about women supporting each other and all of the men who are in it are not in it that much, and when they are, are kind of annoying. Which isn't entirely the case in this one. Not there are some very much. nice men, like Owen is a cute dude. And Jackson seems solid. But even then, at the end, I mean, spoiler alert, <laughs> as often happens in this show, as Shelby's dying, even Jackson leaves, where it's just the mother who stays by her side. Because, again, men ain't shit. <laughs> it's also worth noting, like we said, this is based on a play by Robert Harling, also called Steel Magnolias. And at the time he wrote the play, Harling was not a writer. He was an actor in New York, and his sister died in 1985 due to complications from type 1 diabetes associated with giving birth and he kept talking about trying to process it and a writer friend of him told him to write it down so he first wrote it as a short story for his nephew to be like here's like who your mom was and all the relationships she had and then he turned that into a play originally starring Margot Martindale as Truvy (gasps) esteemed character actress Margot Martindale the very same so she originated the role of Truvy played by Dolly Parton in the movie and that was his first play He then adapted the screenplay and wrote several others, most notably First Wives Club. A movie I have not seen, but I feel like I would enjoy. Yeah, I feel like that's fitting into your category. Yeah, it's definitely within the same realm. The movie's directed, meanwhile, by Herbert Ross, who started out in the 50s as a dancer and a choreographer for the American Ballet Company, and then directed a bunch of musicals, some Neil Simon adaptations. He directed Footloose. And some connections to our show, he directed the dance sequence in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Another very play movie. (laughs) Well, very much so. Yes. A theme here. Will, this was probably disappointing for you. I don't think there was ever a title drop in this movie. There was not a title drop? I'm pretty sure there is in the play. Because every page that I saw referring to the title used the same phrasing about how the women could be hard as steel and delicate as a magnolia flower. And I'm like, the fact that they always use the same wording makes me think it's from the play. 
Yeah, it definitely would have felt jammed in in the movie. There was never a natural moment where it could have come up, but I was still kind of like, oh, where's the title of this film? (laughs) It is unfortunate. Oh, I do have to note one other thing about Robert Harling in a great We Love the Love note. He wrote the screenplay for Soap Dish, the 90s movie about people working on a soap opera. That actually might be a fun one for us to do. But he is currently adapting it into a musical that had its first workshop in London earlier this year. Well, sounds like we should do it because that also fits in our oeuvre. (sighs) Yeah. I don't know if I use that word right ever. It, It felt right. It felt right. And a lot of vocabulary is just saying things confidently. As a teacher, you would know that. That's certainly what my students sometimes seem to think. All right. So should we start breaking down the romance of this film? Well, I think it's worth noting the reception of this movie to some extent. Because this is still in the first decade of TriStar as a studio. It was founded in 1982. Did you know that Coca-Cola owned a Columbia Pictures? It sounds familiar, and yet it's still baffling. This was news to me. So in the early 80s, Coca-Cola owned Columbia, and an executive there came up with an idea to say, like, hey, movies are costing more and more money. Let's start a sub-studio that can share costs to produce movies. So TriStar was a collaboration between Columbia, CBS, and HBO to produce movies. And then CBS dropped out in 1985, HBO dropped out in 1986. But Steel Magnolia is, is this early hit for TriStar in its early years. It wound up making $83 million against a $15 million budget. Wow. Yeah. They shot it in the actual town where Robert Harling grew up in Louisiana. They had a former mayor as their, like, town culture guide for the production. That's so sweet. Isn't it cute? Also, I have to say, while I was watching this, my friend Julia, who I was watching it with, asked, did Coke pay for all the product placement or is it just accurate? Either way, I'm going to go get a Coke. Great. So it sounds like Coca-Cola's plan of owning Columbia worked yeah it did but also it's entirely accurate for a town in the south for them to be drinking coke all the time of course it is worth noting this year the movie came out 1989 is the year columbia was sold by coke to sony rip in peace (laughs) but the movie did as we said do pretty darn well it made a bunch of money julia roberts was nominated for best supporting actress she went on to be a pretty woman right after this. She did indeed. This is crazy early in her career. She made her screen debut the year before as a pretty minor player in Satisfaction and, of course, the lead in Mystic Pizza from the director of Little Italy. <sighs> Needed a second to recover from a reference to that movie. But, so like I said, she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. She lost to Brenda Fricker in My Left Foot, but she did win the Golden Globe for Supporting Actress. Sally Field was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Drama. Shirley MacLaine was nominated for the BAFTA for Supporting Actress for playing Weezer, but lost to Whoopi Goldberg for Ghost. I feel like this movie would be run as a comedy today. Yes, at the Golden Globes. I was surprised to see that it was a drama. Because they definitely had a better shot of winning the comedy category, I'm sure. I mean, we can look up. Let's see who was nominated there for lead actress. It was also insane to see the credits and Julia Roberts showed up sixth. Yeah, well, again, I mean, that's the thing where she's new. Right, she's hot and new, but it was still just like, oh, this is like the last movie where she would be billed this low. Right. And it is the kind of thing where you see her and almost immediately like, yes, this person is a movie star. They know exactly how to operate on a camera. Oh, of course. She's incredible in this movie. Shirley MacLaine is such a scene stealer, though. Okay, so Sally Field lost lead actress in a drama to Michelle Pfeiffer for The Fabulous Baker Boys. She was also up against Jessica Lange from Music Box, 
Andy McDowell for Sex, Lies, and Videotape, and Liv Ullman for The Rose Garden. In, oh, in the comedy or musical category, the winner is Jessica Tandy for Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, that would be. Yeah, that would be a tough competition. Yeah. Also in this category is Pauline Collins for Shirley Valentine, Meg Ryan for When Harry Met Sally, Meryl Streep for She-Devil, and Kathleen Turner for The War of the Roses. That does not sound like a movie made in the 1980s. War of the Roses? Yeah, War of the Roses. I guess if it's a comedy, it's probably not like a about it is the war of the not roses. about the war of the roses it is a an adaptation of a play yeah it's sounds, about i mean it's about a married couple that hate each other that sounds fun <laughs> we haven't seen that before in a movie <laughs> what a unique of, idea who's afraid of virginia wolf that well is just i here's the thing you can do interesting things with it oh yeah it's just so funny how often that comes up and then you said they're trying to kill each other and my first thought was mr and mrs smith that movie everyone remembers and loves. I did not see that movie, but I'm very familiar with the poster. Uh, I, I don't know anyone that watched that movie. The only thing I know about it is it's where Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie met. Yeah. So, back to Steel Magnolias. Right. <laughs> so, every week, we break down the romantic plot lines of the movie we're discussing into five points that help us to focus in, get to the root of our investigation, and talk about the romantic plot line of the chosen movie. So Steel Magnolias is a movie that is set in very specific time frames. The movie is much more closely tied to particular holidays than the play is, but that's also a useful way to show the passage of time. Kind of like Meet Me in St. Louis, where we had a season yeah. for each section. It's a very useful trick, because even with the one-year time jump, they were still able to use a holiday very effectively to show that. Right. So to start off point number one, we have to start off on Shelby's wedding day. She is marrying Jackson, who is a fancy pants lawyer. Shelby's played by Julia Roberts, and her almost husband, Jackson, is played by Dylan McDermott. You make Jackson Latchery take good care of you. Mama Jackson will take care of me, and I'll take care of him. And I'm not stupid. You could say a fiancé. Ah, yes. I mean, that would be a word for it. If you were a Frenchie. So the movie starts with... Does it start with Drum shooting his gun? Or does it start with Anel? It starts with Anel. Okay. Walking into town. Yeah. We'll get to her in point two. Right. So Shelby's getting ready for her wedding. She's in the bath when Jackson breaks into her... Or climbs into her bedroom window. I was not sure if that was the man she was marrying or if it would be very scandalous. Yeah, I didn't know what was happening here. Something just climbs into her window and walks (laughs) into the bathroom. Which makes a lot more sense when you know it's her fiancé. Sure. And they have a whole conversation about whether or not they're actually going to get married. She keeps insisting that he's not really going to marry her. Right. She's really worried, and we find out later that they even talked about calling off the wedding fairly recently. The reason for this is that Shelby has pretty serious diabetes and has been told by doctors that she should not have children, that it would be dangerous for her to undergo childbirth. And she feels like Jackson shouldn't marry her because then he wouldn't be able to have children. Right. But Jackson is, he says that they could adopt or even buy a baby if need be. He just wants Shelby. And he actually is, is very nice in this bathroom conversation where he's saying like, I'm going to, I'm going to marry you. Like, we're going to do this. It'll be fine. And she says, all right, meet me at the church. I'll be the one with the veil down in front. 
He is a very sweet guy. I was yeah. worried. I also was worried he was going to be kind of scummy, but no, he's just a good dude. Yeah, because not, I guess Drum is also a good dude, but all we know about him is he likes shooting guns. Yeah, there's nobody in the movie who's like truly bad. I mean, Dolly Parton's husband, Sam Shepard, seems frustrating. I think there are other factors at play there too, where he is probably personally frustrated by his inability to find steady work. He also seems like someone who probably should be on Zoloft, which I believe existed at that point but may not have been particularly common to access in whatever this town is in <laughs> what in this small town in louisiana where everyone knows town? everyone yeah what is it do they say it no i think they say it in the play okay i assume it was just called small town louisiana our town okay so it turns out the play is set in a fictional parish of chinquapin but the guy is from and they shot the movie in nachitoches louisiana ah of course that's quite a name yeah so anyway they're in the town they're they're gonna get married and what shelby keeps saying when she talks about getting married is that she's really excited to get married even as much as she is kind of stressed out about it she talks about how she likes the idea of growing old with somebody but she also somewhat controversially a source of conflict with her mom sally field is that she wants to continue being a pediatric nurse after her marriage. And it seems to come from, for Sally Field, it does seem tied to fears about her health. Right. At the beauty salon, we see her have a serious diabetic episode. Right. Serious hypoglycemic episode. And the way everyone reacted shows that it was clearly a common occurrence. Right. They all knew what to do, even people who were not part of her family. Right, like, uh, Clary goes and immediately is getting juice from the fridge. Man, how great is Olivia Dukakis in this movie? (laughs) Olivia Dukakis is never bad. And this is just two years after she won her Oscar for Moonstruck. She's so good in Moonstruck. Yeah. She's so good in this, too. I love her and Shirley MacLaine. I love Olympia Dukakis doing the radio color commentary in the football locker room. That was quite a scene. It's fantastic. I loved when Weeza pulls out her mirror to continue checking out the naked football players more surreptitiously. Because to be clear, Olympia Dukakis is the wealthy widow of a beloved former mayor who buys up the local radio station so that she can make herself in part the color commentator for the football games, which is mostly her offering in-depth thoughts on the uniforms. Yeah, we only see her there in the locker room after the game. She and Weeza, there are naked football players everywhere walking around. She's very unfazed by that and is focusing exclusively on, is it an aubergine or a violet? I mean, paying particular attention to colors is an important part of this movie. Julia Roberts' wedding, the two themed colors are blush and bashful. Oh my god, that sounds so awful. Sally Field insists that the two colors are pink and pink, and it is a very pink wedding. Oh, it's kind of rough to watch. Okay, those dresses are one of the 27, right? The bridesmaid's dresses? <laughs> if you look closely, an infant Catherine Heigl is seen in the lineup. They're these enormous pink dresses with big hats and, like, wide shoulders. They're out of control. Honestly, the problem is it didn't really phase me that much, because it's just what I've come to expect from 80s movies. But, like... That could have been in Katherine Heigl's closet. Oh, 100%. So, Shelby and Jackson get married. They have The reception, reception seems like a nice time. Sally Field tries talking to Jackson like, hey, you gotta be serious here. Like, do you know what you're doing? And he's just refusing to engage. He's like, I know what I'm doing. It's gonna be fine. Like, he's not willing to engage in the sort of... Panic is the wrong word, but serious concern that Sally Field has. Right. Because this is clearly something Sally Field is worried about all the time. Right. And at the wedding... 
earlier at Truvy's salon where all of the women were getting their hair and nails done for the wedding. They meet Anel, who is Truvy's new beautician. Or what does she say? She says, like, aesthetic technician or something. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And this takes us to point number two. I don't know. You don't know? Well, I'm not sure. You're not sure? I'm intrigued. Are you married or not? These are not difficult questions. Right. So, Anel's new in town. She has recently been abandoned by her criminal husband who stole all of her clothes, jewelry, and the car. It's worth noting that Anel is played by Daryl Hannah, who we, of course, saw previously in Splash. Who is thin. Okay, hang on. We need to take this opportunity to talk about Splash. Have you seen the news related to this? No, what happened? So, Splash was, of course, released by Touchstone Pictures. Yes. Which means it's a Disney property. Oh, yes, I did see this. And it is on Disney Plus to stream. And Disney Plus has this complicated identity crisis where it is very much branding itself as, like, family-friendly programming. So you've got National Geographic on there, but not FX stuff. Like, FX is over on Hulu. But there are some things that are kind of hard to categorize. Like, you could show most people Splash, but if you're worried about showing those people butts... What do you do with the fact that you have a naked mermaid running around a lot of the time? Well, what you do, this is actually the case on Disney+, Plus, is they have badly CG extended Daryl Hannah's hair to cover to and adhere to her butt so you never see her naked butt walking away from Tom Hanks. It's so bad. It looks truly dreadful. We tweeted about it when it happened, which was like three weeks ago now, but I realized we had not talked about it. She was not this thin in Splash, if I remember correctly. Her waist is tiny in this movie. She is very small. Yeah. I didn't realize she was that small. My main Daryl Hannah is um, L Driver from Kill Bill. Oh, sure. Yeah. Anyway, so she has a troubled past, but all of the women adopt her very quickly into their circle and invite her to Shelby's wedding later that day. Shelby even lends her a dress for the occasion. Because they're nice people. These are just nice people. I love a movie about just nice people. Because even the mean person, Weezer, is nice. I do like how mean Weezer is when she meets Anel, where she's like, I know everybody in this town and I don't know you. Who the heck are you? And drags her tragic backstory out, refusing to not let her talk about it. Right. She is not great at finessing social situations. Uh, no, she is very much not. The first time we see Weezer is when she arrives at Sally Field's house and is angry with Sally Field's husband. What is his name again? Truck? Drum. Drum. (laughs) Because Drum has been trying to get rid of the birds near the wedding reception, so he has been firing a pistol willy-nilly into the air to scare the birds away, and it's giving Weezer's dog an anxiety attack. He's losing fur because of his anxiety. Uh... Just to run through the names in this movie quickly, because besides Shelby, you have her mother, Malin, M apostrophe Lynn, True V, not True D, as I thought they were saying, True V, Clary, which has a second E at the end, Weezer, which I think is short for Louisa, and Anel. So I read a bunch of interviews with Robert Harling, and he has said, like, obviously this is based on an experience that he and his family went through, and it is shot in the town where he grew up. So there are these roots in his experience, but he also, in interviews, refers to his parents as Malin and Drum, and I don't know if that's, like, him just leaning into the movie and, like, the play, or if those are their actual names. 
I wouldn't be surprised if they're all based off real names he encountered as a kid. So, anyway, Anel comes to the wedding where she goes to the bar, is shocked to learn everything's free, and flirts with the cute bartender, Sammy. Okay, I just looked up Wikipedia, and Robert Harling's parents are named Robert Harling and Margaret Jones Harling. <laughs> His dad could go by drum. Yeah, we have no idea about that. But His mom's probably not Malin. No, that would be, my guess would be short for Marilyn. So, point two, Anel and Sammy meet, and after the wedding, I think yeah, he, he offers He makes her the, to... the best cherry coke in the history of the world. Yes, and then after the wedding, he offers to drive her home, because she has to walk a very long way to get to work. Across the river, which we can see from Truvy's reaction when Anel mentions it, is not a short walk. No, but again, her husband stole her car. <laughs> right. But Anel is a, a good Christian woman, and she's not going to take a ride from a strange man, so she says she has to break in her new shoes. Right. It's very cute. And that's basically it. They don't actually date or anything yet, right? Right. Yep. We just have Anel and Sammy meet. Shelby and Jackson are married. That's Point three. the first season of our movie. Don't start on Jackson, Mom. Your poor body has been through so much. Why would you deliberately do this to yourself? Diabetics have healthy babies all the you time. You are special, Shelby. There are limits to what you can do. But now it's Christmas time. And this is the cutest Christmas pageant, including a beauty pageant for Miss Merry Christmas. Don't forget there is also a nativity made out of fireworks that Truvy wants to go to, and she's frustrated that her husband Sam Shepard won't go. Yes, Bud is upset because he lost out on another contract. But at the Christmas pageant, which Truvy and Anel are working at... It's like a full-on Christmas festival. Like, if a knight walked through here, nobody would bat an eye. It does look like the Christmas festival in that movie. Um, Miss Merry Christmas, I think, might be one of my favorite characters. She has no lines, but her mention later is the yeah, first- Yeah, why did she have her crown stripped again? She's the first to get caught with her tinsel around her knees. And I think it's with, like, someone important, too. Yeah, we'll say it's the comptroller. Is it the mayor? It's not the mayor. It's not the mayor. I think I'm just thinking of Mayor Quimby. <laughs> So, Shelby is back in town for a visit from the big city. Yeah, we know that Shelby and Jackson live some distance away, enough that they don't see everybody in Natatoches too frequently. I would guess that it's not that far, though. Yeah, I don't feel like they are across the state. No. But far enough that it is substantially inconvenient. Right, it's an occasion when she comes to visit. So, at the pageant, they're just having fun, but then after the pageant at her home, Shelby can't get at her Sally parents- At Sally Field's home. At Sally Field's home. Can't get her parents together, so she tells her mother she is pregnant. Well, what happens is, Malin is like, Shelby, do you have any idea what Jackson's getting you for Christmas? And Shelby's like, oh, yeah, right. he's getting me furniture. And Malin is like, oh, nice to have a rich lawyer husband, isn't it? And then Shelby's like, well, you know, was trying to get my parents together, but can't make it happen. So we're getting furniture because we're having a baby. Furniture for the nursery because I'm pregnant and Malin is not thrilled. She's really upset. Because it was never that Shelby couldn't get pregnant. It's that she shouldn't get pregnant. Right. So this pregnancy is very high risk and Malin can't see past that. And- Shelby is insisting that she wants to have a child of her own. At one point, she says, I'd rather have 30 minutes of wonderful than a lifetime of nothing special. She says that she can't get a judge to approve her for adoption because of her medical history. So all other avenues have failed for a child. So they like, decided- We are specifically told Jackson has tried to buy a child. Right. And it doesn't work out. So they get pregnant. 
I had a conversation with the people I watched this movie with. Do you think this is a selfish choice by Shelby? I think that, I mean, I kind of, I think so. I think it was, I mean, it might be maybe not selfish, but it's not the smartest decision. Like, I think that she's really not thinking through that her 30 minutes of wonderful might leave a lifetime of a lot less than average for the rest of the people around her. Right, that's kind of the key of it. Of You think about the legacy of this choice for Jackson, who is, of course, part of the choice, mm-hmm. but also for their families, for this kid. Right, because, yeah. I mean, at the end, her son will never get to know his mother. Right. Except through a play written by his uncle. And I I have seen Shelby's brothers, and I don't believe they're going to be writing a particularly good play. <laughs> no, it's interesting that one of those is essentially the playwright. Yeah, they seem like turds. They seem awful. But I do love how much Shelby seems to love them. Yeah. Like, when they're terrorizing their father later in the movie, she immediately pushes them behind her to protect them from her dad's anger. It's a very sweet moment. At the very least, we know her dad isn't a particularly good shot with his pistol, so they'll probably be okay. They're all blanks. So, Shelby tells her mom, who is distraught. When she tells her dad, the dad is really excited, and it made me wonder if Drum knows the extent of her medical condition. I would think he does, but I think he is more willing to live in a fantasy world like everyone else except for Malin. I think that makes sense. Like, Malin is the only one basically living in reality. Everyone else is trying to just focus only on the happy and ignore the fact that this is a extremely high risk. And we saw at the wedding that Malin clearly has a lot of stress about this, but you can imagine how feeling like she's the only one acknowledging it would exacerbate that stress. Like, she has to yank people into reality right she's the only one who is basically dealing with this the right way in her mind and everyone else is just driving her nuts also at this party where shelby tells her father and everybody else that she's pregnant she also tells weezer that this fella owen has come into town he'd been living in ohio he's a widower who was very excited to learn that weezer was living in town and available i mean based off of Weeza, as she says, being richer than God. We know she seems. One thing I've learned on this show is that that is a strong incentive for you. (laughs) It's just like it's so fascinating because otherwise, what is the appeal? I guess she says she was nicer in the past. Yeah, he's like really cute and really into her. He's like this tiny little old man, and she treats him like shit. Yeah, (laughs) and she does say she's like, I've already had two bad marriages. What do I want another for? And when Owen meets her, he's like, Oh, hi, Weezer. It's so cool to see you. Hi. And she is not exactly reciprocating the emotion. Like, the hell do you want? Get away from me. I love her. You really could very easily go as Weezer for Halloween. Yeah, I'm wearing the overalls right now. Did you know that the Eatonton house, Malin and Drum's house, is, like, on Airbnb? Should we go? Can we expense it to the show? (laughs) (laughs) Call Square Apron. (laughs) Yeah, call Square Apron. It looks nice. And they actually, starting in 2003 specifically decorate it to kind of look like it did in the movie. Well, obviously. It's the only logical business decision. Well, sure. I mean, if you're going to go to Natatoches. Yeah, it seems like that house would exist to draw Steel Magnolia fans. So, Shelby's pregnant. And by point four, she has given birth. We're jumping like a year and a half into the future. Because it's July 3rd, and it's her son Jack's first birthday. 
Oh, Anel, for Christ's sake. Who? Christ. Who did you say? Christ, Christ, Christ. Are you speaking of our Lord? Is that whose name you're taking in vain? That's the one. Oh, well, I am sorry, Sammy. But I'm not about to spend the next 50 years of my life with someone who I'm not going to run into in the hereafter. And Jackson is there? Like, he is in a lot of the movie? I don't He's know always how much... very present. He's always very much there. We know, actually, that it's specifically July 3rd because at the party they're singing Yankee Doodle Dandy, but they've rewritten it from Born on the 4th of July to Born on the 3rd of July. Aww. Little Jackson Jr. And... The first clue that things have developed with the medical condition is that Shelby says she wants to go to Truvy's to get her hair cut short because she says, I want everything to be as simple as possible. Right. She's having trouble keeping up her hair. And she gets her hair cut short at Truvy's and she is not very happy about it. Right. And of course, it's also a symbol staring her in the face of the seriousness of her medical situation. Right. Because we find out that her kidneys have completely shut down and she's on dialysis. Right, and so Malin is going to be giving her a transplant. Right. This is all what happened with Harling's sister as well. And then also at this time, Endel has become an even more born-again Christian. And to be clear, also at Christmas, it was clear that she and Sammy were having a fun relationship. They were, like, putting up decorations together. So Endel and Sammy, like, going all right, but the Christianity is a big deal. Like, she's getting really mad at Sammy for using Christ as a curse. Just little things like that make her very angry. She discovers that he put some beer in her fridge and she pours it all out. Yeah, that was wild. (laughs) I liked it when she said, I'm not interested in spending 50 years with someone I won't see in the hereafter. (laughs) That was a good line. (laughs) Sammy, you're going to hell. Sammy, you're going to hell and I don't want to date anyone going to hell. Meanwhile, Weezer and Owen are dating, though they're trying to keep it a secret. Well, probably Weezer's trying to keep it a secret. I don't know that Owen knows they're keeping it a secret. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. He sends her flowers twice a week. They go to church together. This is the first time Weezer goes to church. Gotta do it to see the cute man in the choir. And Nell is shocked to see her there. But in terms of romance, that's about it. Jackson yeah, continues it. Jackson continues to just be there. He's so present. He's such a present father. And by that, I mean, he's just there. A few it lines like every so often. seems like he's probably doing a good job. Yeah. Again, this movie just genuinely does not care about men. The only time we see him, like, we can't even judge him really as a parent. Because the only time we see him with his kid, there are a ton of other people around who are excited to pay attention to Jackson. So old Jackson doesn't need to be doing anything. Exactly. We don't see his daily life. So anyway, point five. When something like this happens... I pray very hard to make heads or tails of it, and I think that in Shelby's case, she just wanted to take care of that little baby, and of you, of everybody she knew, and her poor little body was just worn out. It just wouldn't let her do all the things she wanted to. Point five, it's Halloween! Um, oh, Shelby's dead. (laughs) Yeah, so Shelby's... Rewind a little bit. (laughs) Rewind a bit. Shelby's body rejects the transplant, and she goes into a coma. (laughs) And her heart gives out, and it's actually pretty agonizing to watch the heart rate monitor count down. Yeah, it's extremely slowly. They actually have to... They choose to end life support, because it's irreversible. She's never going to wake up. And as the heart rate... It's a really harrowing sequence. It's painful and as the number is dropping first you see drum leave 
And then after him, Jackson leaves, and only Malin is left holding her hand when the number hits zero. It's pretty horrifying. And, you know, even in all of that, like, there's something really intimate about the fact that when the doctors are talking about the fact that Shelby won't come out in the coma, we don't hear that conversation. They're just talking, and we have Malin in the other room looking through a window. The fact that you can see Shelby's feet sticking out from under the blankets, like, there's something very vulnerable about that. It's tough. I cried a lot this movie, unsurprisingly. It's intense, but it's also a lot of fun. I mean, it strikes that balance so well. It does, because you also get Sally Field giving a great monologue at the funeral of the pain of losing a child and her just anger at everything. Because there's some anger even at Shelby for making the decision, which I'm sure is very difficult to deal with. Right, but I also can completely understand where it comes from. That's what we were talking about. Right, but again, at the <laughs> there, at the funeral, Malin is standing by the coffin, and her husband leaves her, and then her friends come and comfort her, because again, men are just not present. I mean, Drum's even less present than Jackson, I'd say. Yeah, well, that's partially because... For the first chunk of the movie, Drum is alternately shooting birds and unable to hear what's going on because he's been shooting too many birds. Yeah. So then you get all of the women from Truvy's comforting Malin graveside. And then <laughs> Halloween. Halloween. Point five. Point five. Anel and Sammy are getting married. Aw. They worked it out. They worked it out. Anel gets pregnant and then has a baby. And that's the end of the movie. And they named the baby Shelby. Oh, yeah. That's why she and Sammy met, because Shelby invited Anel to her wedding on a whim. Ugh, they're all such nice people. Yeah. So, Will, after watching all of this unfold, do you find the romances of Steel Magnolias believable? Yeah. I mean, you got Shelby and Jackson, and I, I like the complicated aspect of their relationship. The way that Shelby caring about Jack makes her worry about how her conditions would affect him. I think all of that engagement is very realistic. I also love how they fit the whole plot of a rom-com into one line when she's like, first we met and I thought he was a bit of a pest and then he grew on me and we fell in love and now we're here. Right, like there's a Steel Magnolias prequel. Yeah. That is that. Yeah, you could easily just see their love story. By the way, do you know that CBS commissioned a TV sequel to this? Wasn't it supposed to be on Lifetime with Queen Latifah as Malin? No, that's a different thing that did what? happen. Oh. Okay, all right, we gotta dig into Wait, this. Wait, yeah. So- In August 1990, so like a year after the movie came out, CBS broadcast a sitcom pilot set at Truvy's Salon. Okay. It's on YouTube. I I will post it on social media. I can send it to you. None of the film cast members returned, but it does feature Elaine Stritch as Weezer. That was their original casting choice, wasn't it? I believe so, yeah. And it was directed by Tommy Schlamme, who did a lot of ER and West Wing. He just did Plot Against America on HBO. Is it any good? The pilot? Yeah. Um... No. It's weird. (laughs) So is it after Shelby's dead? Yes, it is set after the- It starts with them at Shelby's gravestone being like, Ah, it's been a year. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Yikes. Yeah, it's weird. Um, no, so in 2012, Lifetime did a remake. It aired with an all-black cast. So Queen Latifah played Malin. Alfre Woodard was Weezer, which is incredible casting. That sounds great. And Felicia Rashad played Clary- that is a good cast. Right? I wonder if that's online. I assume it exists somewhere. It was on Lifetime. Anyway, where would you rate the romance on a, on our 
one to ten scale with ten being the most believable there's so little of it again this movie cares so little about the men they're just never there okay but let's talk through this because i think the stuff that's there is really good the stuff that is there is really good yeah with Jackson and Shelby. Oh, now, I was thinking more in terms of adding the others, like Weeza and Owen and, and Nell and yeah. Sammy. And I think we do need to factor those in. And I think those two relationships both bring it down a little bit. Yeah, I'm leaning more towards, like, a nine with the other I'm romances. S- I'm kind of skeptical that Nell would stick with Sammy. Me too. I'm also skeptical that, I guess, Weeza and Owen don't exactly stay together. Well, I think they do. I, uh, do they? I can't remember. But that's like its own weird relationship that, to be fair, does have its history. It was clear they knew and liked each other. Right. They dated in the earlier. past, didn't they? Yeah. When they were youngins. All right. I'm going to give it a nine. I think I've talked myself down to an eight. But uh, like a high eight. Okay. Yeah. I'm like a low nine. Okay. Do you think that Shelby or Jack is dateable? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. They're both great. They're both great. Shelby's really nice. The fact that she invites Anel to the wedding, recognizing, like, this is a person here who doesn't know anybody. And is Who really has need. nothing going on. Yeah. Right. Just come along and join us. And Anel's so awkward at the wedding at first. Like, she's just... I mean, you get a sense of the stakes of her situation where she's, like, hiding rolls in her bag. Yeah, she's taking food. Like, it is clear how meaningful this is. And then the fact that Anel chooses to name her kid after Shelby. Right. And Jackson's a very present man. He's so present. <laughs> and also, we're told repeatedly he's rich. So, do you think that, I guess, the only one, Anel and Sammy? I think- See, this is hard for me. W- once they are married and having a child by the end of the movie, I think probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Anel's going to get a divorce. Right. Do I think they would have gotten to that point, realistically? Not, not really. really. Nah. If you did have to pick someone in this movie to date, who would you choose? I want to know your answer first. I'm struggling with this one. Oh, the answer is clear. Who would you choose? It's Clary. Oh, okay. Yeah. This woman is a ton of fun. She is like a wealthy widow who's like, I'm just going to do whatever I want. I like football. I'm going to buy the radio station and make myself a football commentator. Yeah. It's like just having a blast, but is also looking out for people and cares for the people in her life. Yeah. She is the exact right answer. I was also thinking about Malin. A good choice. Incredibly caring and supportive. Yeah. All right. So a lot of our movies are... Often adapted to the stage musical. I'm going to guess that this movie already has been, even if I haven't heard of it. The question is, do you think it should be? I don't think it should, because I think it's such a play. I don't know if adding music would really add to it. Yeah, I actually think that the structure of the stage play just set in the salon is a really nice way to do things, and I wouldn't want to sprawl it further. Right. To date, as far as I can tell, it has not been adapted into a stage musical. That is a shock, honestly. It really is. Wow. I was sure it must have happened. All right. Well, I guess we can get on that. That'll be our Broadway, baby. That'll be our next uh, We Love the Love musical. All right. I think that about does it for Steel Magnolias. Any closing thoughts? Uh, No, I'm just really glad we did this. It's a cool movie. It's nice to see something like this with a community of very different women still engaging with and supporting one another. One of the things we talked about in our Oscars episode when we discussed Little Women was how exciting it was to see a movie where lots of people are given the opportunity to find their own definition of what it means to be a woman and aren't denigrated for the choices they're making. And I feel like this movie engages with that idea similarly. Yeah, no one is making the right choice. There's no right way to be a woman. It's about supporting each other through the choices that they're making. And helping one another to succeed 
as the person, as the woman that they want to be. Exactly. Uh, it's so good. Yeah, I'm glad we did this. Uh, shout out again to our listener, Catherine, who recommended this to us. Thanks, Catherine. Next week, we will be covering a movie that just hit home. It was a home run for me. I can't wait to talk about it. When you said it hit home, I thought you were like, this movie matches my life experience to an uncanny degree. <laughs> oh, no. I was thinking the sports metaphor, but don't know how to phrase them right. It's called a home run, yep. Mark. All right. I'm struggling here. This movie... We've watched multiple baseball movies for this podcast. Yeah, do you think I was paying attention to the baseball? No, I'm paying attention exclusively to Gina Davis. But how would Madonna. you notice the fever pitch if you don't see someone hitting a home run off that fever pitch? Oh my god, that is just burned from my memory as much as it can be. Anyway, next week we're covering one of the campiest movies I've ever seen, Death Becomes Her. Directed by Robert Zemeckis, also the director of Back to the Future, subject of a future two-hour episode. Uh. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Reviews on Apple Podcasts in particular help other people to find the show. All right, Will, last question. What's the best piece of dating advice we got from Steel Magnolias? I mean, honestly, it's have conversations with your significant other about things that are meaningful and challenges you're going through so that you can help support one another and talk through important decisions like Shelby and Jackson do. I would also say that it's important to have a support system outside your relationship if you want your relationship to succeed. This is our best advice in a while. I would say so. <laughs> Until next time, I'm gay. <laughs> and I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye. So I have-